Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is April 24th, 2023. And so as we do each week, let's begin by taking a moment of silence and linking with the Worldwide Triangles Network, followed by a sounding of the noontime recollection. We know, O oh Lord of life and love, about the need. Touch our hearts anew with love, that we too may love and give. So we're making our approach now to the Waysack Festival on May 5th. And just a reminder that the Arcane School Conference in New York will be coinciding with that event being held from the 5th through the 7th here in New York. And if you are able to attend in person, that would be great. Um, and if not, we do have a Zoom link that we hope that you will attend via that way. And so our work here together today is involved with introducing the work of triangles to people who are new to it and to aid any of you who might be new in forming triangles. So if you'd like to form a triangle, you simply have to put your name in the chat box and hopefully two other people will agree to form a triangle with you. Uh, and we also come together for members who are already doing this daily visualization practice to participate in a meditative visualization in the support and strengthening of the network. And so we welcome all of you each week as well. So the work is simply uh, involves contacting two other people, linking up with them each day and visualizing lines of lighted, loving energy connecting the three of you. And then you place your triangle within the larger planetary network of triangles. And as the network is visualized, you sound together the great invocation, subjectively together. The work doesn't have to be coordinated in terms of time and space, but subjectively you are linking with your triangles partners. You sound the great invocation as a perfect vehicle for the distribution of light and goodwill into the world. And so the work only takes a few minutes and it can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. So we encourage all of you who can to participate in this planetary service and to do what you can to introduce it to others because that's how the network spreads. And as the network spreads, more light and more goodwill come into the world. And so after our meditation today, we will have a presentation on the art of dying, preparing for death as a spiritual practice. And this will be a return presentation, not the same presentation, but a return of Robert Cornett, who has been a student of the Ageless Wisdom and the 
Alice Bailey, Anthroposophy, and David Spangler teachings for the past 40 years. He holds a master's degree in the history of religions from Harvard Divinity School, and he studied conceptions of the afterlife across various religious traditions and in modern esoteric teachings. He's also a certified end-of-life doula, supporting hospice patients and their families during their time of transition from the physical world. And he recently wrote and performed a theater piece on near-death experiences. So I look forward to hearing from Robert. So now, as we also always do, let's begin by working together with a brief visualization exercise. Let's visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. And within that sphere, let's visualize a triangle composed of the three planetary centers. Shambhala, the planetary head center, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize the circulation of energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points filling the triangle with light. And now superimposed at the center of that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star. This is the star of the world teacher linking east and west, past and future, radiating the energy of love-wisdom. Now visualize the three spheres of the three planetary centers coming into alignment and forming one sphere. This is the sphere of the new group of world servers. Visualize this sphere full of unlimited points of light representing the multitude of groups and individuals working along all lines of endeavor to bring light and love into the world. As a group of world servers, we breathe in the energy of the spiritual hierarchy and breathe it out through the group and through the planet, stimulating 
and releasing light and love through the planetary network and enlivening all small groups meeting everywhere. See the energy circulating through the five planetary inlets. London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, irradiating the planet. Visualize the planet as a sacred planet, radiating light. And projecting a rainbow bridge of energy towards the hierarchy, we sound together the mantra, the invocation of light. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth, the inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. One of the tasks of the new group of world servers is to bring through those forms that will more adequately house the new and incoming energies. This is creative work and much of its impulse comes in as a result of the groups developing the eye of vision, a development that's highlighted by the keynote of Taurus. I see, and when the eye is opened, all is light. The old commentary describes this realization as the bull rushing forward with his one eye beaming light. This is the new group. This is the power of the opened eye and the vision it confers. It's developed through the ability to use the mind and turn it in a new direction, to have it become the window or lens through which the seeker looks out upon a new world. As Patanjali said, the seer is pure knowledge. Though pure, he looks upon the presented idea through the medium of the mind. In order to perceive a deeper reality and penetrate into its significance, we come to gradually understand the meaning that is embodied in the form, the meaning behind the appearance. 
And we do so by becoming spiritual readers. And this is not always easy because the pull of the form life, the lower three worlds, can be very strong and cause much distortion due to its allure, its distractions. The bull is pulled in many different directions. But perhaps now, as a result of the challenges of this time, the aspiration after the inner light is waxing in strength and the growing disillusionment with the world which stands all around us is the cause of this waxing. Some of the rules we've been given for inducing soul control can be synthesized in a few brief aphorisms. Work towards at one with all beings. Seek to penetrate to the heart of your brother. Endeavor to be at one with the life in all forms. Reject every tendency to separative reactions and know that they concern the form. Attempt to understand the nature of the unfolding vision. This last quality, to attempt to understand the unfolding vision, is perhaps the most important for us at this time, as it embodies the Dharma, the task of the New Group of World Servers, which is said to be stimulated under this energy of Taurus. And that task or that dharma is said to be to hold the vision, to let in the light, to bring hope to humanity. For so many at this time are bereft of light, see no vision, and have no hope. The vision confers the strength to live in this world and be of service to others. For it said, without vision, the people perish. The vision enables one to begin to see the emerging splendor beneath the outer unraveling, to see through the cracks that let the light in. It's said that as we adjust our lives in conformity to the rules of the soul, we hasten the time when truth, beauty, and goodness will reign. And to this end, we're asked to turn all our efforts. For if we offer our efforts to the group soul and to the hierarchy, that which might appear as small and insignificant is magnified, for it's undertaken in alignment with a much larger group effort, contribution to the reservoir of the ashram from which all the weary seekers can then draw. This birthing of the soul will lead to the realization that the world of meaning is the soul world of reality. St. Paul provided guidance on how to precipitate this world. In a passage, he spoke of that condition of the fluctuating light that all spiritual seekers experience, subject as we are to the highs and the lows of form living. He said, Human beings trample on the external sheaths that veil and hide the inner center. And through this means, they become able to tap into beauties and wonders, hitherto unknown, but only to have them quickly fade into nothingness 
which leaves the individual bereft with a sense of loss and bewilderment at this waxing and waning of the light under the vicissitudes of life. The remedy to this situation, St. Paul taught, is to withdraw within till the center of consciousness vibrates in tune with those dimly realized wonders. The Tibetan clarifies this. In order to do so, he says, we must learn to use the mind in a new way, as a sixth sense, as a bridge, an agent of perception, which will enable us to tune into the love energy of the universe. This involves hard mental application, struggles, perseverance, until the arduous task of concentration and eventual mind control may be achieved. So we work now with our meditation. Beginning by integrating as a group, taking our place within the center of the even arm cross. Lifting our group consciousness to the plane of mind. And linking in thought as a soul, as a point of love and light. With all people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. And we project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and sound together the affirmation of love. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world. Visualization, using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light. Visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Worldwide Triangles Network.
Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love, which underlies and infuses the network. Now lift the consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the center of each triangle. Now holding the alignment between your triangle, the planetary network of triangles, the group soul, and the Christ or world teacher. Hold the group mind open and receptive to the inpouring energies of love. Precipitation, visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangle's network from point to point and flowing out through the network into the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness, establishing right human relationships. Now project a line of lighted energy towards the hierarchy and sound together the mantra of unification. The sons of men are one, and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of life and love. 
let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Distribution, sounding the great invocation silently or aloud. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light, Within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills, the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Hello, Robert. Hello. Hello Robert. Hi, Robert. Hi. Well, Hi. Welcome, and uh, we look forward to hearing your presentation. I'm happy to be here. It's always a delight, Kathy, and uh, this is just a profound act of service that um, this group is doing every uh, every Monday. I'm happy to be a part of it. Great. Thank you. So um, I will be talking to you today about um, the contemplation of death as a spiritual practice. A little background on this for you is that when I turned 60, I found a calling to the path of contemplating death and its meaning for the incarnating soul. This seed was planted actually in my late 20s when I was a student in the arcane school and at the same time was studying the history of religions and divinity school. And I became very fascinated with conceptions of the afterlife across history and culture and needed to find my own point of view around this. And now at age 70, this fascination continues and it's developed into a kind of a spiritual practice over the last decade that involves study, meditation, and my creative outer work as an end-of-life doula for a local hospice, as well as my creative activities in theater, uh, where I recently developed a play on near-death experiences that is turning out to be actually a, a form of death education for the community that I'm in. So today, I just want to share a few insights about death that seem relevant right now in this period of human and cultural evolution. Um, but I want to just assert that I, I make no claim to be an expert on the great transition we call death. I am simply a student who always stands in awe when pondering this great mystery. I do believe there is an art and science of dying, and this art and science is well known in ancient cultures. And the Tibetan um, has outlined the blueprint really for how we can look at dying as a spiritual practice in the coming in the coming century. And I will be drawing a lot on on his thoughts as well. Uh, so just to start for one moment, if we could just close our eyes and uh, repeat the invocation of the soul, and the, the Tibetan instructs us to speak this as the soul. I am the soul. I am light divine. I am love. I am will. I am fixed design. I put up on the slide here some of the perennial questions that people have been asking about death for, for centuries. Um, questions such as, do we survive death? Where will we be when we die? Will we be re reunited with those we have left behind? Will our actions be punished or rewarded? 
Will we have an opportunity after death to make amends or change our ways? And what kind of body might we have if we do exist after death? I believe in the past 150 years, uh, there's been great, a great spiritual awakening across the Western uh, civilization, especially in the US and Europe. And when you look at the history of the transcendental movement, the utopian spiritual communities, the spiritual movement of the 18th and early 19th century, the Society for Psychical Research and other paranormal psychology organizations, theosophy, anthroposophy, and the New Age movement of the recent uh, 1970s and beyond. And also at that same time, um, 50 years of research has taken place on near-death experiences. So I feel the veil has been thinning and communication between the incarnate and discarnate post-mortem worlds has increased. And both the Tibetan and Rudolf Steiner predicted that by this time in the early 20th century, there would be proof of the soul and the continuation of life after death. And in my view, this has essentially been realized with the plethora of credible after-death communications, near-death, shared-death experiences, and spiritually transformative experiences that have been documented. I want to talk a little bit uh, from the point of view of David Spangler, one of the teachers that I've um, learned from over uh, many years now. Um, David was one of the co-founders of the, the Findhorn community. Um, and he has developed a spirituality he calls incarnational spirituality. And he speaks about the incarnation, incarnational cycle actually as a play in three acts. David has had contact with interplane guides since childhood, really, interplane teachers that have guided him to help him understand the subtle worlds, including the nature of the post-mortem realms. Again, he doesn't consider himself an expert on that, but he has gathered some information. And part of that includes this, this sense of there being three acts to incarnation. David teaches that humanity made an ancient contract with the earth. The contract was to incarnate into the physical world and help the world soul, the soul of the planetary logos in its evolutionary purpose. And we incarnate to bring our unique soul blessings to the incarnate incarnate realm in each and every incarnation. And these blessings are left with us in physical matter when we leave the planet. So the three acts are the pre-birth realm, the physical life, and then the post-mortem realms. And you have to almost see this as a systemic whole. First in the pre-birth realm, we actually form the matrix or template for this incarnation. We plan our soul's purpose. I believe what DK calls the fix, fix the soul's fixed design that we, we speak to in the soul incarnation, in the soul mantram. The fixed design is this matrix or this template. And, to, and DK uh, talks about this. He talks about how we can 
before birth, gather together the, need, the needed substance to form our physical body. And we do this with the help of elemental and Davic beings on the earth. We color our physical um, body with qualities and characteristics that we've achieved through our prior life experience. And then on the etheric plane, the soul arranges the substance of the vital body so that the seven centers take shape and they become recipients of the inner forces for the incarnation. And at this time in the pre-birth realm, we make deliberate choice of who will provide us with a physical body. Our parents. And according to the Tibetan, our parents only donate the dense physical physical body, they don't necessarily contribute anything else unless there is some special group relationship that you have with your, with your parents where the soul experience is long and true and a true group relationship has been established over many incarnations. So this is some of what takes place in the pre-birth realm. And then act two of the incarnational cycle is physical life. It's what we live through now. It's the bardo of life, really. A bardo is just an intermediate stage, an intermediate state of mind. And our physical life is actually a bardo. And it's where we experience um, the formation of our physical, etheric, and emotional and mental bodies. And we live our life. And, and when we end our lives, we shed these. I don't need to really say too much about, um, about the physical life. We're all living it right now. Um, I would like to one, mention one thing, though, that happens at the moment of birth that, that the Tibetan speaks about in esoteric healing. He talks about the manifestation of the etheric body having two critical moments of brilliance. One takes place at birth, and the other takes place at the hour of death. At birth, the moment prior to physical incarnation, the descending light and the carrying life within that light is focused in all its intensity around the physical body. And, it's in and, and with the physical innate light of matter itself. This is a moment of great radiance, he says. And it's almost as if a point of pulsating light bursts into flame and as if Within that flame, seven points of intensified light take shape, our seven chakras. This is a high point in the experience of taking incarnation, and it precedes physical birth by a very short period of time. And it comes at the hour of birth. Act three takes us to the post-mortem realms. These realms are very close to the earth. They are not the soul's realm at this point. It's a transitional realm where the soul loosens itself. It loosens its physical and theoretical bodies at death, but retains the emotional and mental personality bodies, what's called in, in Sanskrit the Kama Manasic body. And this goes with us into the postmortem realm. It's a period of renewing reviewing, assimilating the lessons of our incarnation, a period of transition, 
People who have near-death experiences talk about a life review process. I believe this is what's happening in the post-mortem realms when we first pass over. The Christian notion of purgatory fits here as well. Purgatory means purging, cleansing. When we go into the post-mortem realm, we are purging and cleansing our emotions and our mind. We are thinking back on what, what the soul's lessons were in this lifetime. One NDE experience that I've uh, read in depth, um, the individual said when they crossed out of the physical body, they were surrounded by beautiful, unearthly music, unlike anything they've ever held. And afterwards, when they heard this music, they felt their mind purged of all confusion and all fear. Life in the postmortem realms has been described in spirit communications in the 19th and 20th century, 20th century spiritualist literature and other communications from discarnate souls. Uh, one source I recommend reading, if you haven't, is Helen Greaves' book, Testimony of Light. It's the after-death communication from her close friend, Frances Banks, who was a student of the Ageless Wisdom, and she describes her life in the post-mortem realms, the PMR, as a place of rest, followed by service as a greeter of souls arriving in the post-mortem realms, and she actually is working to help them adjust to their new condition. In some, in some cases, to realize that they've actually died, as some souls coming over don't understand that they've actually died. And during this time, she would continue her quest for spiritual knowledge in the halls of learning found there. I think uh, Kathy might uh, be sharing this, um, some of the books that come from the spiritual literature of this, of this century and last century in the chat. So after we are in the post-mortem realms, then two things can happen. We can actually return to the soul realm, or in some cases, if necessary, or if the soul is called to do this, it skips that step and it can goes directly back into its next incarnation. So these are all ideas that uh, David Spangler has shared in his understanding of the after-death state. I want to talk now about briefly about the three phases of death that the Tibetan describes. Um, these are found both in the Death, the Great Adventure, which is a wonderful book, and I, and I suggest everyone reads Death in the Great Adventure. It's a compilation of the Tibetans uh, writing on the process of death. And most of these come from esoteric healing chapters five through seven, uh, which goes into much, much detail, which I believe will be a blueprint in the future for how we handle death. But the three phases of death start with the process of restitution. And this is the withdrawal of the soul from the physical and etheric bodies. It involves a dissolution of the body and the return of its atoms and cells to their originating source what the, the, the Tibetan calls the bosom of living matter. And he describes the hour of death like this. There, this is the second moment of brilliance in the etheric body. 
It heralds the period of restitution and the final abstraction of its own intrinsic energy by the soul. Then the word of return is uttered and the consciousness aspect, the quality nature, the light and energy of the incarnating, our, incarnating human are withdrawn into the etheric body. The life principle withdraws likewise from the heart. Then there follows a brilliant flaring up of pure electric light and the body of light finally breaks all contact with the dense physical vehicle, focuses for a short time in the vital body and then disappears. The act of restitution is then accomplished. The second phase it calls the process of elimination. This is where the shedding of the astral and mental body takes place by the soul and it's released. This is what the Tibetan calls the second death. This is the cessation of all astral control over the human being and the return to full soul consciousness in the soul realm. And then this leads to the third phase, the process of integration where the human soul is integrated with its originating source, the overshadowing universal soul. Now there's much more detail that I'm saying here about this that you can read in both Death the Great Adventure and in the um, esoteric healing chapters that I mentioned. Some of this includes information that the Tibetan believes modern medicine will soon discover. Physiological events that take place in the nervous system, in the nadis and uh, etheric electrical body that surrounds the human body, in the bloodstream. One thing that the Tibetan mentions is that there is this particular gland which releases a substance which in turn affects the human heart. And this takes place after the word of withdrawal, after the soul speaks to the human form and says it's ready to, to withdraw and leave the earth plane. And the bloodstream releases this toxic chemical into the bloodstream, which is part of what allows the body to separate from the soul and from the etheric body. And then a psychic tremor is established and that loosens further and further the connection between the nadis, the etheric body and the soul. I feel that I experienced a little bit of this myself when my wife passed away six years ago. I feel that I experienced her, I didn't hear her soul's call of withdrawal, but I heard her personality say, I can't do this anymore. And over the course of a weekend, I felt this intense energy within her and I didn't understand that actually she was about to die. I, 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 the doctors didn't understand. They thought she just had a, a, an infection and they were treating her with antibiotics, but a whole other process seemed to be going on. And when she woke up in the morning, she stood up from bed and immediately collapsed and instantly died. And I believe at that point, during that night, the bloodstream 
released that toxic substance and allowed her to slip away from her body. So moving away from the esoteric aspects of the dying process, which we can learn a lot more about from the, from the Tibetan's book and from, from other sources, I wanted to spend some time discussing possible exercises for contemplating death. In my work as a hospice doula, it's very clear to me that most people coming into hospice with terminal illnesses are completely unprepared for dying. Um, they have no framework for it. They have no way of understanding it. And they are, um, they are struggling quite a bit to come to terms with what's happening to them. And if, in the, if, and if people were able to have a, more of a practice and rehearsal for the time of death, it would go much easier. And so these exercises are some things that I have been doing over the past decade and earlier in my life, and particularly more focused now as I'm working in hospice, um, and things that you might wanna consider as ways for preparing for that final transition. The simplest one is just simply reflecting on the cycles of nature, the life-death-rebirth cycles. Life and death are all part of the same organic process, and we see it in nature all the time. And if we just studied that, we'd learn a lot about what will happen to us when we, when we need to let go of our physical bodies. Another activity that I'm involved with is the, the evening daily review and the life review. Every year and every decade, I conduct a life review. I look back on what has happened in my life and what were the key milestones? What have I learned? I try to take a soul's perspective on this. What is my soul point of view of, of what happened this past decade? And what learnings did I take away? And I believe if you do this, you will start to see some traces and some threads that tie together your soul's fixed design. What was your plan for this incarnation? What key crisis points took place? What key expansions of consciousness happened? And this links as well to the, to the evening life review. What happened during the day from a soul perspective? To what extent was I able to operate from a soul perspective in my life? And all of this, I think, will support what happens in the postmortem realm when I expect I will be having a life review. And if you read the near-death literature, some of these life reviews can be extremely um, difficult because you're reviewing everything that you've done and, and every word you have said and, and how much you have hurt people versus how much you have helped them or loved them and be able to bring love into the world. So to the extent that you are working every day to assess that for yourself, you will approach the end of life with a much better sense of, of yourself and of what um, of how you will, you know, you won't be able to be judged by anyone. You'll be judged by yourself in the postmortem realms. Another exercise 
to consider is just imagine you have only a year to live or six months. Uh, or I've seen some exercises where you only have two weeks to live. What would you do? How would you want your final days to go? What would be the most important to you? What would you want to say to people? In my work as a death doula in hospice, I spend time on this very specifically. Uh, it's what we call unfinished business. How do people deal with their regrets? What they haven't accomplished in their life? Ways that they may have hurt other people in ways that they've been hurt. And I ask them to think about how they can begin to forgive. And it's all part of the process of unwinding and letting go of this particular incarnation. Also spending time with the dying, I think is very helpful. Rather than avoiding that, look for opportunities to be with the dying or be with those that are grieving at the time of death. I feel when I'm with a dying patient, there is a whole energy that enters the room, a very profound and deep energy. And whether or not the patient or their family experiences it, it is there. But often they do. And lastly, the Tibetans suggest an exercise in Disciple in the New Age, Disciple in the New Age, Discipleship in the New Age. And uh, he calls it a sleep exercise, and he actually recommended it to all of his disciples in that book. This is an exercise where when you fall asleep, you try to remain conscious until there is a conscious passing out into the astral plane, rather than drifting off to sleep as we usually do. He says, stay relaxed, draw your attention upwards to the head center. Be very clear that the life thread anchored in the heart is not involved at all. The exercise is on the mental plane only, and it's a simple brain activity. You are in no way discarding the physical body. You are just visualizing, imagining moving into your astral body. And the goal in his mind is to just for a few hours be aware in the mental and astral bodies. He says this may take years of practice but it will help them help you make the great transition without fear or concern for the unknown. It's a way of preparing yourself to rehearse the process of conscious separation, which we do do every night, whether we know it or not, when we fall asleep. I've tried this exercise and I can, I can uh, attest to the difficulty of it. Um, and especially the idea of doing this for a few hours is, is pretty hard for me to imagine. I, at most, I feel like I maybe can do this for about a minute when I fall asleep. Um, but I will continue to make this a part of my spiritual path. And I'll, I'll leave you just now with one quote from Education in the New Age uh, about the science of the Antikarana. The Tibetan says, the science of the Antikarana is concerned with the problem of the continuity of consciousness and with the problem of life and death. Keep these two themes clearly in your mind, for they are basic and important. And so I think all of the work that we do with the Alice Bailey materials to build the Antikarana is also a way for us to prepare for death and for the continuity of consciousness.
And to the extent that we do that, our own passing will be much, much more profound and easy, and we will continue. He encourages us as we get older, the Tibetan encourages us to keep this continuity of consciousness awake and alive in you so that when you pass over, your service can continue unhindered. So Kathy, I think I'll stop there and um, see if you will have any other comments from folks. I'd love to hear any comments about their experiences with this, this topic. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was very, very insightful and helpful for all of us to consider this, the vastness of this topic and the importance of it. So <clears throat> we can open it up. Uh, let me see if I can see the participants. Yeah. Okay. We can open it up to the participants. <clears throat> and if you'd like to share a comment, ask a question, you can raise your hand. Um, by clicking on the reactions button, I believe, or you can post um, a question or comment in the chat box. Um, yeah, I think we posted the, the listing of books for people who might be interested to study this more. It's probably here somewhere, um, but if not, and we could post that, Michael. Oh yeah, there you did the book list. Yeah, as I was mentioning to you, Robert, I've been reading that um, Beyond the Veil book by the Reverend um, Dale Owen. It's really, yeah, yeah. Very hundred year old, huge transmission of interplane teachings that he received and. As you were saying, he made a huge impact on British society of, of his day um, with uh, this writing. And then you mentioned The Testimony of Light, which is another incredible book of a more recent transmission between um, two women, one who'd passed over. Yeah. Um, are there any questions or comments that you'd like to read? Can you see the chat, um, Robert? Yeah, looks like someone asked about the training to be a, a, a doula. Um, I trained with the International Association, um, uh, it's I-N-E-L-D-A if you Google it. Um, and there are other groups that are uh, also training people to be death doulas. It's been pretty remarkable, I think in the past, five or six years, there's been literally thousands of people signing up to do this. And it feels like it's the emergence of, of an awareness that we do need to think more about what happens when we die and what the process is and to find ways to support people through that transition. Um, but Inelda is one of the main people that is training people. They're, the University of Vermont also has um, an eight-week training program, and there's several others. What about the um, Ramdas program? Have you ever investigated that? Is it still functioning? Do you know? I haven't investigated that, but I believe that that's still going on. Um, okay. Yeah, it's probably interesting. Uh, there's some hands raised, so I'll unmute. Um, Catherine, did you have a comment, question? I, I did very uh, briefly. My husband died at home and 
in the hours before he died, there was definitely a, a different sense of energy in the room. But I had no idea that death was imminent until he closed his eyes, his face lit up in a brilliant smile, and he never took another breath. And I always said that was his last gift to me. So thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, there are many, many deathbed stories um, as well. There's a whole literature on deathbed visions. Um, and very often people um, describe in, in, in the hospital room or in the bedroom of the person, these very profound energetic experiences and very profound changes that come over someone at the moment of death. Um, here's Sam. Hello, Sam. Can you unmute? Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much, Robert and Kathy. It's wonderful. Um, purely on the scientific aspect of this, um, I'd like, I, mean, I don't know if anyone's done any research on it, but it's about sort of our, our base makeup, our energy of um, atoms and protons and neutrons, you know. I mean, we don't really know where one begins and where one's ends and what, how they sort of join up together past our bodies. And um, it sort of brings me to mind that we're not as solid as we think we are. And also when others do pass on, um, they still remain in an energy form. Therefore, we don't really lose them at all, but the energy is still there. So I just wondered what... Um, what Robert thought. <laughs> oh, Kathy as well. Thank you. Yeah, Sam, that's, um, that's an interesting question. I do believe more and more um, research will, will be verifying um, the physiological process of death. I mean, medical science knows a good deal about it already, um, but they do not know about the energetic uh, aspects you know, what happens to the energetic body and how that that needs to loosen and break. Um, in my experience in, with hospice patients, there is a struggle um, with most of my patients do not have a spiritual orientation and they do not know what's, what's coming and what's happening. And um, what I see is this, what, what, what David Spangler or the Tibetan would call in different terms, the um, the energetic elemental being of our body, the element, there's a body elemental, which is part of our life force. And it struggles to let go and to release itself. And that is often why I think people are, are struggling at the moment of death, um, because they haven't um, had the chance to be guided in a process of guided visualization chanting, letting them know that they are just loosening the, the, the threads, the multiple threads. Just think of all of the nerves in our body. Each one of those is attached to an energetic nadi. And those threads all have to be unwound at the time of death. Um, I seem to have lost ability to see the chat. So um, perhaps if Michael is still on the call, if he could, I know there was another hand raised. 
um, if you could unmute that person. Hi, Kathy. Yeah, Maria Caligari. Go ahead and unmute. I'll try again. Mar Maria, can you? I tried to prompt you to unmute. Let me know if you were able to. Uh, I just tried the unmuting. Oh, yeah, it's Bart. Hi, Bart. Yeah, there. You're, we can hear you now. Hi. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, Robert, thank you so much for this wonderful uh, guideline. For those of us who haven't studied, it's it's very beautiful and helpful. I I just have a question about uh, pain drugs when people are dying from d cancer that is very pain uh, painful, and of course. Part of the hospice care is the application of of drugs to mute that. Does this facilitate the un, the letting go, or does it hinder it? Um, I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, hi Bart. That's a that's a really important question. Uh, the Dalai Lama, uh, I uh, a guy named Peter Fenwick, who's a British uh, near death experiencer, he's met with the Dalai Lama and asked that same question. <laughs> Um, and the Dalai Lama said that <clears throat> it's obviously ideal not to be um, drugged out too much and to be as conscious as possible at the moment of death, but it is also not good to be um, in, in pain and, yeah. and having that be your final experience. Yes. Um, so he he supports the use of those medications when it's necessary, and. Um, I, you know, in my experience, it it does certainly help. Mm -hmm. It helps the patient let go right. uh, of their physical body in a, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be able to. And, um, and, and it relieves the, yeah. it relieves the pain, whether or not it stops them um, from being afraid of death or, or having um, a lot of turmoil in, in their hearts at the, the time. Freedom of transition. Right. That's um, that's really hard to say. I, I, I would expect that a lot of people still go over with with that whatever turmoil they're carrying on. Also, Robert, um, congratulations on the performance of your uh, play. And I'm wondering if there is any way we could have access to that somehow. Was it? Yeah, it hasn't been recorded. We uh, at some point may. It's 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 not the kind of play that's easily recorded because it's. Uh, it's kind of takes place in a in a sacred in a sacred yeah. moment. Um, but thank you for that. Thank you for that. Good luck with that, and thank you very much for this uh, illumination. Uh, it's much appreciated. Yeah. Um, uh, Robert, I just had a comment to make about the previous question about the use of medications sure. to alleviate to alleviate pain. Yeah, the dying process and whether it hinders. It's something that I've just thought about recently, and it's related to um, healing, for example. Um, I know that when we go through a process of healing, say after a surgery or during a, a con considerably painful process of health in a certain situation, that I've spoken with various people, physicians, who've said that the healing process is incredibly facilitated if you do not use uh, pain medications. 
because for example, I don't, I don't, I don't use pain medications very often. And I have a really kind of a rapid healing from things. And I was, I was interested to hear that. And it made me extrapolate to the death process that if we did not use so many um, medications that we could really facilitate a, a quicker death. Uh, that's a hypothesis, but of course it's not necessarily factual, but I, I, that's my sense that that, that um, substance that you said it can be released. I would imagine that we could be released more quickly if we didn't use uh, pain medications. Yeah, well, I wonder if there'll be uh, some kind of medication that actually supports the release of that. <laughs> that would be good. Um, I think I think that what the Tibetan says will probably what will happen because we are, we do live in a compassionate universe, and therefore he does actually say that if there is no hope of healing or recovery, that eventually um, we will accept the fact of euthanasia. You know that it's not. We do it for the animals, our pets. You know, why can't we facilitate that use for yeah. people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of controversy over that, but uh, I do, I do believe that uh, medical aid in the dying will be something that emerges. Yeah. So, if there are any more hands raised or any more comments that you'd like to address, um, do you see anything? Uh, one person had mentioned the um, the book the Ridge, the bridge over the river, an after death communication of a young artist who died in World War One. Um, oh. it, it's available through the Anthroposophic Press. That's that's an incredible story uh -huh. uh, of a musician uh, who died in World War One and communicated to his sisters and oh. communicated. Uh, this whole process he was going through, he was working at on composition of a of a major um, a piece of music before he died. And when he passed over, he continued that work. <laughs> um, wow. he, he described in detail what it was like to be able to compose music um, on the other side. Um, wow. and, and many people describe the existence of music um, in you know in in the postmortem realm. It's 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 almost as if everything is musical. The water is musical. The the rivers, the fountains, the there's music music coming from the flowers. Um, it, it's just that part of the spiritual world is is almost based on music. <laughs> It's it's yeah. it's quite a beautiful um, image that people have described. I thought you were going to say that he was able to communicate to his sisters and finish his composition on this plane, but it sounds like uh, just as important to finish it up on the other plane. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, maybe um, we can just we'll send all of these comments to you, and. Um, you can read them. And thank you so much, Robert, for this uh, teaching that you've brought to us. We really appreciate it. And thank all of you for your comments. Thanks, so let's just You're welcome. Thank you. Let's just take a moment to 
visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. Surrounded by a network of triangles. And we'll sound the Om. Thanks again, Robert. That was just great. Bye, everyone. Sending blessings.